everyone. Welcome back to our AOC PM&R podcast. My name is Shahana Momin, and I'm currently a fourth-year student and co-chair for the AOC PM&R Public Relations Committee. I'm going to be your host today, and with me today is Dr. Derek Allred, the current program director for the University of Texas at San Antonio's PM&R program. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Allred. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's my pleasure to host you. Great to see you again, and we appreciate you giving your time to help students out. Give us a little bit of knowledge. Thank you for your time and getting the word out. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, Before we go forward with some questions, I'm just going to give a brief introduction into um, you about to our audience. Is that okay? Sure. Awesome. So Dr. Derek Allred has been serving as program director for the Department of PM&R at UT Health San Antonio since 2018. He graduated from the University of Utah Medical School and completed residency at UT San Antonio in 2015. He is board certified in PM&R, brain injury medicine, and electrodiagnostics. His favorite thing to do is spend time with his wife and six kids. Yeah, that's so wholesome. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much again for being with us today. We're going to go ahead and get started with some questions. In this podcast, I'm going to try to explore your journey into PM&R, as well as have you talk a little bit about your current program that you are program director for, um, and just, you know, end it with a little bit of advice for students and see if, you know, we can't help them out on their life journeys, on their career journeys. So you ready awesome. to get started? Absolutely. All right, yes, let's ma'am. do it. Okay, first one is an easy one. How did you first discover the field of PM&R when you were a medical student? Can you describe your journey into the field a little bit? Absolutely. So at, at my institution, at, at least at the time I did, I was in medical school at University of Utah. PMR wasn't a specialty that was well advertised. I, I don't think that it's, that's a unique situation in many uh, medical schools across the country. I actually went into medicine thinking I was going to do emergency medicine. I, I worked as an EMT before. I worked in an ER during my undergraduate and um, medical school years, part of part of it. So I, I was pretty much dead set on emergency medicine until about oh, halfway through my third year, I rotated on a neurology service, and it was a stroke service, and we were attending to a new stroke who had hemiparesis, uh, dysphagia. Um, all sorts of functional issues. And and the conversation that ensued amongst the neurologists, it was pretty bleak. I mean, they were really just talking about how this patient's life was going to be affected. And and it was very kind of a, uh, kind of just a sad discussion. There was really no hope injected into anything that they were saying. Well, I just so happened to be on a PM&R elective shortly thereafter, just I'd heard about it and I just needed an elective. So when I, I went from my neurology service to my PM&R elective and I saw the same patient on service and they were walking and talking and it, it was a completely different person. Uh, and the way that the physicians interacted with that particular patient was much more positive and upbeat and it felt more like you were a cheerleader. And I thought, huh. What a, what a wonderful feel, what a wonderful way to dedicate your life to, to taking someone and, and, and improving their life after they've had something detrimental happen to them. I think one of the 
the drawbacks that I was wrestling with with emergency medicine was it was really no establishment of relationships with patients and not seeing them long term and that was something that at the time I thought I was willing to sacrifice but once I, I jumped into PM&R and I was exposed to that field I, I realized that was an important aspect um, of my job satisfaction so kind of the last minute I I bailed on emergency medicine and jumped into physiatry and um, had the time of my life interviewing and it just just felt like the right fit and so I've I've not regretted that decision a day in my life. Yeah, and you're a program director now, and I've seen you on consult service, and you do such a fabulous job. So I think it was the perfect field for you. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you kind of saw both sides of that um, around the, you know, around this back to back almost. So it's like a, a night and day difference kind of for how they, how the different specialties deal with things. So. Yeah, and I, I, again, I think we are optimistic by nature. We are laid back by nature and we are optimistic by nature. And it's, it's fun to be in a specialty that's just overtly happy. And uh, you don't just affect the lives of your patients, but of their you know, loved ones as well. I think that this, what we do, um, extends far beyond what, what we see just within the patient. But, but we really do make an important difference within families and communities. And, and I think the footprint we leave is probably bigger than any medical specialty. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, the few, the PM&R rotations that I've done, I've actually found that I'm my best self after those months or during those months. And so just something that I feel like when you know, and it just strikes you and you're like, I'm putting goodness out into the world. It's, it just makes you a better person. Yep. Yeah. Agree. That's awesome. Um, so it's such a, such a diverse field. PM&R has so many specialties, subspecialties and possibilities that you can explore really. And you have interests in TBI and EMGs. So what specifically drew you to those fields in physiatry? Oh, that's a good question. So, so with, with EMG, uh, it didn't get a lot of exposure in electrodiagnostics during medical school. Um, most medical students, when they when they see an EMG, they just see squiggles on a line and they don't know what what, what it means. Um, I had the privilege of training here at UT San Antonio with with one of the, you know, most renowned electro uh, diagnosticians you know in the country in the world actually who wrote the the major textbook on electrodiagnostics. So they really he really Dr. Dan Demetri this you know instilled a lot of love for this this particular aspect of our field um so there was that but but on top of that I, I do think emg is actually probably one of the more challenging things that we do in terms of diagno diagnostic uh, modalities i think I, I i find it fun trying to solve a puzzle um i think peripheral nerve anatomy and physiology is fascinating um so so there was that and, and i actually I, I found the most joy out of teaching kind of electrodiagnostics and anatomy, you know, during my senior years as, as a resident. So it was a natural fit. And then brain injury. So I'm, I'm an inpatient doctor at heart. Brain injury medicine just kind of fits. There are a lot of aspects of brain injury medicine apply throughout all, all of inpatient physiatry. I think the pathophysiology is super cool The the, brain injury medicine and spinal cord injury medicine, you actually see some, some of the most profound functional improvements that anything that we do. 
and so that that's incredibly rewarding and, and gratifying it's it, outside of that it just just fit and I, I can't really articulate anything different than that it just it just fit yeah you just knew in your heart I just had that moment where it clicked and you were like this is it yep that's awesome I hope I get to have that moment in the future sometimes. You soon. will, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as PD, could you give us a quick rundown of your program curriculum and what you think are unique aspects of UT San Antonio's program? Sure. Great question. All right. Uh, so we are a categorical program. And when I was applying to residency, there weren't many categorical programs. Now, now there are. I, 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 we were one of the, the the first. We were part of a few that had had started with with a categorical rehab program, and there are a lot of benefits to that. I would say that some programs will say they're categorical, and what that means is that you can come and you can do a, a designated intern internal medicine year with with their institution, and they're calling that categorical. That's in my definition, that's not categorical. What, what I when I say categorical, I mean that we control your intern year, so you're not only getting the basics in which you're required and need to to learn in terms of you know, establishing a good medicine foundation, um, but they're also rehab centric and rehab oriented type rotations that'll prepare you for your 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 PMR residency, you know, your PGY two through four years. So we, we can, again, we control that, that intern year and you'll, you'll rotate outside of your typical medicine and you know, ICU services, you'll rotate with orthopedics and you'll you know, run their clinics and do their injections and you're, you're churning and burning through really busy MSK clinics as an intern, which is something our, our residents enjoy. And you'll, rub, you'll rotate with neurologists and neurosurgeons and you know, surgical intensivists, you'll see polytrauma and brain injury and all of these things right out of the gate during your intern year, which again helps you establish a, a good solid uh, medical surgical type foundation for your PM&R years, which I, I feel and have seen prepares you even that much more for when you're on uh, your, your PM&R, particularly inpatient services. So again, we're categorical and there are other benefits to that to you know, include your part of our, our rehab program right out of the gate. We do have one of the larger residencies in the country. We have 32 residents, which is on the larger side of residencies, but it, it's been it's actually wonderful and really creates a, a family feeling. I think a lot of a lot of residencies when you interview with them and those of you who interview in PMR. We'll, we'll find that same type of vibe. I, I, I would never claim in a thousand years that our program is the only program like that because physiatry is, is just generally like that. But the, certainly the number of residents we have here and being involved that early on in your training really you know, creates a, a, a wonderful environment to, to train. And then throughout your uh, PM&R years, you will get exposed to pretty much every different type of rehab setting, both inpatient and outpatient that exists. We, we pride ourselves on providing a general, well-rounded, high volume, high procedure based type residency. So that whether or not you wanna pursue fellowship or jump right into work as soon as you're done, that either way you will feel equipped and prepared to do whatever you want at the end of your, your four years. And so you'll rotate 
at a county hospital, a level one trauma center. You'll rotate at a freestanding rehab hospital. You'll rotate at a dedicated children's hospital. Um, we have a very unique experience being here in Military City. Our VA is not a typical VA. We have one of the five polytrauma centers in the country, which is a main rehab hub for the Department of Defense. So we basically, at our VA, we have a rehab hospital attached to the VA hospital and all sorts of state of the arts, um, endless resources to serve not only veterans, but active duty service members. And we see some really cool pathology amongst this population, both on the inpatient and outpatient side of things. And then just recently in the last year, we've actually started rotating over at the military hospital here in town. Uh, it used to be called Brick Army Medical Center, um, but there we're actually sending our residents to a dedicated burn unit. And they have an outpatient, the, the military's amputee rehab center. They're called the Center for the Intrepid. Just this last year, we were able to get our, our residents rotating over there. And so, and through the course of your, your three years as, 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 as a resident, again, you, you'll see a, a wide variety of procedure-based rotations, um, alternative medicine type rotations, you know, in addition to your typical pain rotations, which our, our residents get high volume and, and immediate exposure to, you'll see you know, unique opportunities such as OMT for our osteopaths, you'll see uh, we've just started putting, for example, one resident into an acupuncture and a cupping clinic, you know, to, to learn that type of thing as well. Um, but all of that is supplemental to, you know, one of our, you know, our main missions, which is to, you know, give you a good, strong inpatient foundation, but also make sure that you're a good outpatient procedure list, both with uh, imaging guided uh, the procedures and, and non-imaging guided procedures. So uh, we, again, we pride ourselves on being very, very well-rounded. And every year we just got a new department chair a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, Dr. Monica Gutierrez. Um, she's amazing. And uh, since we've had a change in leadership, there've been a lot of wonderful changes and a lot of upward mobility in terms of what we are doing as a department. So it's, it's a cool time to be a part of our, our program. Yeah, so speaking of those new initiatives, is there anything on the horizon that you're currently trying to implement or hope to implement in the next few years as program director? Sure. So we've been um, expanding a lot of our, we've been expanding a lot of our musculoskeletal opportunities, both in the VA and the university side. Um, we brought on new faculty to create new procedure-based clinics. Uh, so that's been awesome. We've been working in collaboration with the Department of Orthopedics to who they've just hired on a sports medicine doc to cover uh, University of Texas here at San Antonio's uh, sports teams. And we're working on an affiliation with them our, uh, to get our residents you know, more fully involved with on the collegiate level. Our, uh, we have also, I've, I've just implemented, we've just completely overhauled our didactics we moved from a anatomy, excuse me, a, a diagnosis-based module system to more of an anatomy base to give you more in-depth uh, hands-on anatomy, um, procedure, case-based learning, um, more real-time oral and written board preparation, uh, much more interactive. And, and that's that's been really quite fun. 
in addition to just some of the other things that I've, I've already mentioned, we're, we are always changing. And, and one thing that I pride myself on is making sure that we are tailoring our residency towards the needs of the and the wants of the residents. So if you're a resident here, you have a voice here. And I guess that's one of the benefits for having done residency here, here relatively recently. I only graduated six years ago, so I still remember what it's like to be a resident. And I, I remember how important it is to feel like you have a voice and to be able to, in some way, shape, or form, direct your education. Um, and so the residents have done that. We made a lot of wonderful changes just in the three years I've been PD. Yeah, and um, I know for our listeners, I actually rotated for a month at this program and all the residents were always telling me that they loved how you took into account their feedback and tried to implement those changes. So that's a really good thing to hear for, you know, for me, for all the students out there listening. Um, and it, UT San Antonio is, seems like a great, great place. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm sure, yeah, I was like, you had a big hand in that. Um, so moving on, a little bit of a kind of a different thing, but I know that you're fluent in Spanish and in many parts of the country, especially Texas, that is such a useful skill, especially in medicine. What do you recommend for students that are interested in learning more about the language? Um, do you have any tips about how to specifically, specifically learn like medical Spanish and implementing this into practice and trying to get more fluent? That's a good question. I, I, I will maybe begin answering that question by saying it is not a requirement to speak Spanish to come to this program here. Um, we have a very good medical interpretation team here because San Antonio is a minority majority city. So 60% of the population here is Hispanic and Latino. So, but you don't have, most of our residents don't actually speak Spanish. Most of the attendings do though. Um, I, there are a lot of gee whiz programs out there, right? You know, there's Rosetta Stone there. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff and, you know, pick your poison. The, the, I uh, did a lot of classroom type Spanish, but I never learned it until I actually practiced it. And most people don't end up practicing it because they're afraid of making mistakes. So whatever formal academic program you pick, that's cool. You know, memorize vocab, that's awesome. But really you have to just practice, not be afraid to make mistakes. And most people, when you're speaking, when you're speaking to yourself, what is a foreign language and patients perceive that you are making an attempt to speak their native language, they're quite merciful in terms of uh, and encouraging. Because even, even the yes, I'm, I'm fluent, I, I don't, I'm not perfect in my language capabilities. And I am grateful when they correct me and I'm grateful for their uh, <laughs> their patience when I do make mistakes. So you just have to practice and that's all there is to it. You're really good. I've heard, I've heard you speak. You're quite great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Conversation. Yeah. I've heard, um, one other good tip was trying to, um, use interpreter services available and then kind of tell the translator service if you have time, oh, you know, I'm going to try to take a, to take a whack at it and talk to this patient. And then you jump in if it's not, you know, yeah. quite correct that way that way you're getting what you need across and making sure you're getting proper medical care but getting a little better yeah and spanish tv with subtitles is always good too um i've done that before it's actually quite helpful so, so netflix in spanish everybody sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> there you go um <laughs> uh, so for fourth year medical students right now they're facing uh kind of a whole new world 
right with COVID and all the experiences getting changed around, what, if you were a fourth year right now, what would you do if you were in their position to kind of try to, um, you know, get noticed by programs, show interest? How exactly would you go about doing that? Yeah, that there, I, I acknowledge, well, first of all, I acknowledge that there are the difficulties that are, that fourth years across the country are encountering are, are diverse and it really depends on where you're coming from. If you, like, for example, here where PMNR has a fairly large, you know, a very large footprint, um, getting exposure for our students to PMNR is, is not a problem. Like they still can rotate with us. They can still interact with us. They can, there's a robust student interest group. There's, you know, research available. There, there's all of that. However, if you come from an institution where that's not the case and some institutions don't have PMNR at all, couple that with restrictions on travel that some institutions have you know, implemented. It's, it's very discouraging and very, um, it may seem daunting. I will say, having said that, that many, I won't speak for all program directors, but, but certainly uh, the group of program directors, we're, we're a small group and we are, understand, right? And I don't think that any of us are gonna hold um, any unrealistic expectation to, for medical students who may not have had you know, equivalent opportunities in terms of their exposure to PMR. Certainly, I, I think historically the most important thing has been ensuring that you convey in your application, as you're building your application, a sincere interest in every aspect of PMR and whatever that entails. And so, I, I used to counsel five, you know, five years ago that away rotations weren't necessary. Um, outside of COVID, if COVID didn't exist, I would, I would not share that advice any longer. I actually think you've got to get your name out there. And I think you've got to um, target specific programs that you have a vested interest, a vested interest in. Um, uh, and that's just, that's just the reality. So hopefully once we come out of COVID, um, we can get back to you know, doing our away rotations like we used to, then please, I, I, I do think that, that that's actually important. Um, I've changed my opinion on that. Um, just for the sheer volume of applications that we get, it's practically doubled in the last five years. And I don't see that letting up any anytime soon. Um, for those of you who don't have, you know, who are in, in extremely confined or restricted in your abilities to get exposure to PMNR, whether a lack of faculty within your institution, the, the first thing you should do is look for a private physiatrist in your community, okay? Um, even if they're not affiliated with the medical school where you go, but you still may not be able to find someone. In that case, I usually counsel uh, applicants to look for what I call proxy rotations, where it may not be PMNR, but it, it's, it's associated with what we do as physiatrists. Like so a, a sports rotation or an orthopedics rotation or a neurology rotation or a neurosurgery rotation or rheumatology, even psychiatry, inpatient psychiatry. There's a lot of similarities to what we do in PMNR. And if you go into those rotations, letting attendings know that, hey, this is what I want to do. Can you speak to my skills as a physiatrist? Generally speaking, that's been successful for those who have followed that advice. 
fortunately, in the age of COVID, there's a lot of virtual stuff, right? So we, we've just recently gone away from our virtual didactics, but there are virtual didactics where you can interface with lots of different residents and faculty across the country. Um, I think the AAP Menar and AAP have done a really good job of, of trying to connect uh, medical students with people who are in the field in case you want to do research you know, remotely. So, so just, just be active in those regards. Um, and that's what I would probably counsel. But, but, but overall, you know, program directors are, are pretty merciful when it comes to the restrictions that, that a pandemic has, has, has put on your ability to, to get PMNR experience. Yeah, that's really comforting to hear that you know, people are taking into account everything that's going on and PMNR as a field at least is being more understanding about all the restrictions that we have as students. So that's great advice to try to get, you know, more involved virtually. Um, and I think that students will definitely he should heed that advice. It's very, very true. Um, kind of along the same lines of applications um, and talking about what fourth years are going through right now, what are some important questions that you think students should be asking programs when they're doing their interviews? Yeah. I think the main questions I always get, and it's an important question, are, are always about procedures. I'm, I'm very cognizant of the fact that the, the primary draw, not the only draw, but the majority of individuals who want to go into PMNR are likely looking at establishing or being a part of some type of procedure-based outpatient practice as a physician. Right? That's, that, that's the main draw. It's not the only draw, but it's the main draw. Okay. So a lot of questions that we get surround procedures, which is important. Um, most programs actually do a fairly reasonable job, you know, at least hitting the minimums. So, so certainly ask that question. But one thing that I failed to recognize when I was a medical student, because I kind of hyper-focused in on, on you know, the procedures. Um, but also when I was interviewing, there are some programs who base their entire experience in PMNR, both inpatient and outpatient with, within one type of practice setting. So they all do it within a, a private rehab group or they're all affiliated mostly with the VA. Um, I would, if, if I were an applicant, I would, I would scrutinize this and I would, I would make sure that I wanted to go to a program that gave you exposure to every aspect and every practice model of, of PMNR. And I think if you asked a question like that, so I understand Dr. Allred that you, you have uh, a private rehab hospital. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the you know, additional models? Like what do you do on your county hospital? What do you do in your, um, your academic hospital? What, what are you doing at your VA? Like, that shows kind of a higher level um, uh, thinking about about your engagement in in our in our specialty, and and as a physiatrist, you really need to be trained in, in multiple different practice models because because frankly, you could you could change your mind during during residency, and often people do. You may find that oh heck, I think I really do want to practice in the VA, or no, I, I really want to do private medicine, no, or or wait, I. I really like academics. I want to work in a level trauma one level uh, trauma one, level one trauma center. So, make sure that the program that you go to gives you those opportunities. Not not just procedures, but 
how you practice physiatry in, in multiple different settings. That's a good tip because I hadn't thought to ask it that way. I kind of have just been thinking you would ask, oh, what are the training sites for programs? But you kind of want to get more in depth about what exactly is happening at those places as well. So that's a very good way to word that. So I appreciate that tip. Of course. Um, what are some common mistakes that applicants might make that might put them at risk of not matching into PM&R? Sure. Uh, I often counsel medical students to not try and be the ideal, right? Um, we go through so many applications that I can get to a point where I can get a gist of where someone is over embell like someone's embellishing something or expressing a lack of sincerity in, in one facet or another of their application. Be yourself. Um, there, there's no such thing as an ideal candidate. Um, and really part of the whole process of finding a residency program is also finding a fit too. And I tell applicants this, I said, hey, after you go through the process, you may feel like UT San Antonio or this place or that place isn't a good fit for you. And that's fine. That's great. Let us help you get to a place where you want to go that is a good fit. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's the lack of sincerity. It's the lack of, I want to say being honest, because I, I actually feel bad for the game that medical students have to play. Like this, this you know, towards the end of interview season, I get get a lot of correspondence. Hey, really liked my time here. I'm going to rank you very highly. Well, okay, that's actually very helpful to know. Um, that's that's good to know, being honest and upfront versus those who say, hey, I'm going to rank you number one, and you know, you're you're you don't, and we know that end up knowing that you didn't. Be honest, be yourself, don't embellish. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, don't just, just be yourself. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with, in fact, you know, diversity is a very good thing. Diversity of thought, diversity of culture and experience. And we need to really foster that within our field. So just be yourself. Yeah. Just be honest and be yourself. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, work-life balance in PM&R and just in medicine is really tricky for especially attending physicians, I imagine. What sorts of things do you like to do to kind of keep that balance in your life? Whatever my wife tells me. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do think that it's important to realize that we are more than just physicians, right? So I think the, the profession of being a doctor and a physiatrist really is a calling, right? It's something that is inside of us that, that you know, we, we want to contribute to a higher cause in ourselves as, as, as these professionals, but, but we are not just doctors. I think it's, it's very important to, to remember that, that we are people outside of the profession. Um, I can only speak personally. Right. So my, my, my own work-life balance is very different than what someone else, else's would be. So I have a large family, right? And so I, I had to find a, a, a job where I, where I work hard, 
but it'll, it affords me the opportunity to, to, to get away. Um, I also do think there's a time and a season, right? Um, I, I far too often, I, I see a lot of new residents making that transition from medical school to residency, finding it a very difficult one. You're going from a student who, um, with, a, with a student's mentality to now you're a paid employee. The expectations are much higher and the work is much harder. And if, if you've been someone who may has, you know, you've been very successful through your academic career, but yet maybe, you know, you haven't had certain life experiences, I've found that transition to be very challenging. So going to residency, knowing that it's, it's going to be more difficult than, than medical school and it should be, right? But, but the flip side of that is instead of learning about everything in medical school, all the stuff you're not interested in, now you get to focus on that which you are interested in. So there's a trade-off. But, but, but please, you know, go into to residency knowing that you only have four years, four years to, to, to become a master of your, your craft. Now, I'm not saying that because here in our, our residency, we, you know, we work and work everyone to, you know, to the bone. I, I mean, that's not true. We have to preserve a good work-life balance. You have to work hard and play hard, right? Um, and I think we foster that, that here, but find what makes you tick out of work and make sure that you do it. Um, make sure you find a residency that lets you do that. I can't remember if, are you the one that goes running really early in the morning? I have to, I, I do exercise. Dr. Gutierrez runs. Okay. I'm more of a general exerciser. I, uh, I don't run marathons. Okay. I no, had I an attending, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, I had an attending that woke up at 4 a.m. and tried to convince me to run. And I was like, maybe a different kind of exercise, but that's also a, well, 4 a good pretty, thing. 4 a.m. is pretty late. I mean, that's, that's, that's <laughs> I mean, for everyone listening, Dr. Allred has six kids, so 4 a.m. is late for him. <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah, well, thank you for all of the amazing insights today. This was so helpful, and I hope that you had a good time. I had a great time. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anywhere that our listeners can connect with you? Sure. I, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, and we were joking about this before we started this, I am, I am not the social media fiend that maybe some of my colleagues are, which that, that, that's great. I'm, I'm, my contact information is on our website, you know, UT San Antonio Department of PMNR. I'm always open to, to um, questions and, and, and comments from medical students. I actually, I enjoy what I do as a program director and in interfacing with, with medical learners just as much as I do patient care. Like it, it's what makes me tick. So by all means, you can reach out and, and contact us in our department. And even if you don't wanna come here, I, I find a lot of joy in, because we're, we're a small specialty. I get a lot of joy in helping people now, if they want to listen to my two cents, helping people along their path to find what they're looking for. I feel like everyone that I've spoken to in PMNR has just had this kind of like a spiritual edge to them. That's just like, we will help you get where you need to go on any journey in life that you want to pursue. And 
it's just so wholesome. Nice to hear. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Allred. Any last minute tips or advice or things that you want to tell our audience before we finish up? Have fun. Enjoy the last part of medical school. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much. It was awesome hearing about everything that you that we chatted about today. I really enjoyed it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, you too.